this episode. Hey, Rob Grundle. Scale, climate, inclusion. How stories uh, can power your organization's biggest challenges. Ah, you're not taking the small things there, are you? We won't be saying that um, using story is a silver bullet to cure all these things. Good. Something that he shows in the research is that a homogenous team, in other words, people who are more like each other, are more effective than a diverse team who is uh, managed badly. <laughs> is that right? How about feeling? This is about getting the best out of me, guys. You're, you're losing out. Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Rob Grundle. Hey, Rob Grundle. How nice it is to have you on the program today. Um, so good to be here, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Something different. Mark's out and about. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where he is at the moment, but he's doing something that's very important, I'm sure. No um, doubt. So this is a little bit different because uh, I know that you've got a webinar that's coming up, right, Rob? And perhaps you can give our listeners a little bit of a, a snippet as to what that's about. For sure. I've got a webinar coming up on the 3rd of November, and it's called Scale Climate Inclusion, how stories uh, can power your organization's biggest challenges. Ah, you're not taking the small things there, are you? No, we're not taking the small things. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting though, sure, right, isn't it? Because these are some of the big challenges that organizations are facing. And in this webinar, we won't be saying that um, using story is a silver bullet to cure all these things. Good. Uh, but we will but we will be <laughs> right. <laughs> but we will be talking about the role of story when it comes to some of these big challenges, because, um, you know, we've been working with organizations for a long time now. And the thing that we always notice is how little time there is. And it feels like now even more after COVID and with the challenges that are increasing, the time feels even less. Yes. So the moments yeah. where leaders do uh, get to communicate or, or have time to listen, um, how can that message or that quality of listening be the highest quality that it can be? And okay. this is this is kind of this is kind of the direction that we're going in the webinar. So you're doing what an hour uh, set in the webinar? What's was that the sort of idea or half an hour? What's, what's yeah we yeah well, yeah we're doing an hour, um, forty five minutes. I'll be talking for about forty five minutes. Where there'll be a few questions in, on the way through, yeah. uh, with a fifteen minute Q and A at the end. We're running it twice on the third of November. Actually, oh, um, okay. I'm going to give you the Australian times. It's eleven a.m. and six p.m. Um, which is 11 a.m. is 8 p.m. in New York. So, that, so you know, if you're in that area, at 6 p.m. would be 8 a.m. in London or 9 a.m. kind of Europe. So gotcha. that's... Uh, and and if people want to register for that, where do they go? They go to our website. Just go to the events page on our website and... Exactly right. It'll be right, eh? fantastic. Oh, well, looks that I look forward to that now. I know you've been head down you know, sort of really getting your head around all those sort of things, doing the research, et cetera. And you've, you've found some good stories along the way. And, of course, this program is about sharing a story and talking about it. Absolutely. What so this research comes. Yeah, so this story comes from um, the research of Joseph DiStefano. Um, and in the year 2000, he published a paper on diverse teams working in diverse teams and how to get the most effectiveness out of working in a diverse team yep um, i'll come to the story in a second but maybe just as a bit of context something that he shows in the research is that a homogenous team in other words people who are more like each other um, are more effective than a diverse team who is uh, managed badly 
<laughs> is that right? That's right. Because because <laughs> the, the the story that we have right is that a diverse team is going to get you a better result. Yes, that is true, but only if. And um, this is a story that he tells in one of the appendices, which kind of reveals why, um, uh, kind of to this point of uh, so, of why. Oh, do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So the uh, so he publishes this paper in in the year two thousand, and up to that point, um, Di Stefano and his uh, and his team had been researching or going into offices of all these like big banks and uh, uh, petro companies and all these kinds of uh, uh, organizations to see how these teams would work and what worked well and what didn't work well. And they were sitting in this uh, in down, a downtown bank in in New York uh, yep. on, on on one particular day, and uh, this was the it was a room of the top managers in this organ in this bank. And the topic of discussion was um, how well they make decisions. And one of the managers says, "Well, you know, I think we make really good decisions here. You know, we always um, ask around for everyone, and we get everyone's input." And we hear everyone and and then we always come to a um, decision. And, you know, I think we do a really good job of it. And then another um, manager kind of pipes up and says, yes, you know, there's always room for approval, but I always feel like, you know, we always whip around everyone and we ask, you know, do we agree? And then everyone says, you know, we always get agreement and then we move on. And then a bunch of other people around the table also, you know, like uh, kind of a little bit self-congratulatory, give their own examples of um, how, uh, what the quality of decision-making was and how everyone is listening. And this, had got, this had, was going on. And then finally, um, it was, they're on this big square table and there is a lady who was originally from Korea sitting kind of at the corner of the table. And even where she was sitting, it was hard to her to physically lean in. So everyone else was, you know, Oh, yeah, right. In the middle of the tables. Yeah, exactly. And here she is on the edge and it's hard to hear, you know, to pitch in. She says, well, and, and it's hard for her to speak. You know, she's kind of, she has to clear her throat and she says, well, um, this is not true for me. She says, when I want to speak, I have to rehearse everything that I want to say. And, um, and I think about it over and over and, um, and uh, you know, and by the time I say it and, and, you know, by the time there's space for me to say it, you've already moved on, you know, you, you, you already want to move on. And so yeah. when I do say it, I'm, I'm only listened to uh, partially and then I'm not heard. And then, I have to recover in myself. So then I'm not listening to what, you know, what is being said in the rest of the room. And so and she said, my feelings isn't the point. She said, you're not getting the best out of me. You're not getting the best ideas out of me in this, in this room. Wow. There's a shocked silence for about 20 minutes as everyone kind of, um, or 20, 20 seconds. Minutes? Rather, anyway, yeah, a big 20 minutes, 20 seconds, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 20 seconds. And then, um, Another guy pipes up who hadn't spoken at all in this conversation, and he was um, he he was from Indonesia, and he goes, "I have all these ideas that you often come to, you know, weeks after we have a discussion that I have in the room. I have observations that you only come to, you know, weeks later, 
and I don't share them because of this, you know, the same reasons that um, that this lady yeah. just said. How interesting! And so, and so, then in the research, Stefano, De Stefano, you know, uh, kind of makes the point, and he says, "Well, um, it's so uh, he makes how does how does this team need to come together in order for these people to be heard? You know, what do they need to understand about Korean culture or Indonesian culture, and not just American culture, so that uh, these contributions, uh, there's space for these contributions to be added in the meeting." That's uh, that's one. That's, oh, that's lovely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, you know, there's some things I really love about that story. Um, one of the things I really notice is that when you do the uh, the Korean woman's dialogue, and even with the Indonesian gentleman's dialogue, there was sort of like a halting hesitation in your voice. Yes. It was almost like you were channeling <laughs> the difficulty that they were um, having in in getting their message across. As it had a real strong effect on me as I was listening to the story. I sort of really felt like how difficult it was for those to uh, get their ideas out. Um, so interesting, isn't it? You know, um, just it's a tough situation. Um, and there's lots of other examples uh, like that in this research. And I think that's that's one thing I really like about this this particular paper is that it is full of stories. And I, I don't know, like I, have, I do read some research papers where um, just the data is shared from the research, but the fact, you know, like the detail of the fact where the Korean woman was sitting uh, in in the in on the table, you know, that's in the research. I, I find that you know that's such a salient detail. Uh, but it's in the appendix, and it's in the appendix, right? I, I was just wondering, do they tell any stories in the main part of the article? I wonder. There are more stories in the appendix than in the main part. There are yeah. a few, but yes. Right. yes. I was chatting to my sister-in-law, who's a professor in Berkeley uh, in the US, and we're talking about storytelling. And she was just sort of, I mean, she's a you know real high-end genetics DNA type um, researcher. And she's sort of saying that, you know, the journals have a very specific you know, there's a there's a what would you call it a a way of writing, yes, uh, a journal article, you know, in yes. a very particular method, if you like. And she said it's it's kind of anti-story, but yeah, you know, it's... after conversation, she says, oh, I'm going to see if I can get some stories in. So she's got she's she's been able to get them in, but they're very thin. They're not stories as we would tell it. They're very sort of thin layered stories, if you like. Um, not even what. It sounds like it was, it was in that appendix, you know, like like where the woman was sitting and and fully. You know, that, that's a that's a nicely formed story. It's a, yes, I'm assuming De Stefano was in the room and he just observed it, right? Well, certainly that's the way it's been written, and whether it's yeah, one of him or one of his staff, exactly. Yeah, right. And I, and I think I think the other thing that really um, that really I was really curious about was. Um, is that the her name was Judy, or her name was reported as Judy in the story? Yeah. Um, that Judy was Judy was telling her story of what it was like um, to be in a meeting. So she had to. T- this this is the thing I've been thinking about with the webinar is Judy had to tell the story of her experience of what it's like when she's in a meeting, um, in order for other people to understand uh, what was how she could connect better or how she could contribute better yes. to, to, to to future meetings. Um, and no one asked her for that story. She had to, you know, she had to kind of get it out of herself. 
But unless it, it was a brave move. It was a brave Very move for brave. her. But what I really loved about her interjection was she made it clear this is not about my feelings. Another great, a, great detail, right? Well, that's, that's a, a great, great detail. detail. Yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. about feeling. This is about getting the best out of me, guys. You're you're losing out um, losing in out. the in the way in which we're operating. Hey, I I'm just in terms of going back to the, you know, so we'll flip back and forwards between the ideas and the and the story, but and the story, uh, having that detail, her name is Judy, is something that would be really good in telling the story. Very much so. You know, it's just getting that, I don't know what it is, but it's just having a name attached to a person always yes. helps. Yeah. Yes. Um, how interesting. I, I've also seen that dynamic in meetings quite often where um, there's almost, I guess it's that whole echo chamber, you know, agreeing with each other where each one's going, oh, no, no, we're great at uh, making decisions. Oh, we really get a lot of input from everyone making decisions. Yes, we're, you know, it just rolls on, doesn't it? And and, and it's all, it's a it's a force in itself. It sort of really gets that momentum uh, to be able to intervene, intervene and actually change the direction and then get, you know, the Indonesian chap to jump in. Only happens because Judy told her story. Completely. And so I think that's, I wonder, Sean, this is this is my own curiosity, is that, if that first thing, that force that you're talking about, if that's a real sign of that your team is homogenous, if everyone does have the same opinion, is that true? Is that actually the case? You know, if, if so perhaps that would be something for leaders to notice that if there is a uh, often frequent uh, common agreement around everything, that's actually, rather than it being a sign of, or this team is working really well, it actually could be a sign that your team is homogenous and not inclusive. Because the idea of inclusion isn't particularly that, doesn't necessarily mean that you have a diverse team, but inclusion just means that um, every voice is being heard um, and, oh, yeah. and recognized. It's so interesting you say that. I, I went to my book club last week and uh, the convener of our book club, Paul, is full of stories, actually. He's a tre tremendous and very adept facilitator, actually. And he was saying that in his team, he works for a big insurance company, he has this guy who is always negative about everything. <laughs> and for a long time, it used to just drive Paul nuts, right? You know, No matter what the proposal was, he had the black hat and was saying why it would fail. And then they did a little exercise, a team building exercise, which uh, Paul calls the Mount Rushmore exercise. And what is he, he does is, he's like, you know, everyone knows about Mount Rushmore, you know, four presidents up on that mountain. He said, what is your personal Mount Rushmore? Who are the four people who've made the biggest impact on your life? Anyway, he was in the, this, the, the black hat guy was in the, in the team building exercise. And he uh, said, oh, easy. Four people from his family, but his family were quite a, a diverse family in the sense that it wasn't just his mother and father. It was like his auntie. Um, his cousin, and they all lived together. And he said every night at dinner time, they would have these robust conversations, you know, where they would argue, but in a constructive way, argue against each other. And he said, this is just how I I communicate. Yes. And the, the penny dropped for Paul. He sort of went, oh, my God, this, this is how this guy is. Like, this is just built into him. And so from that point on, he would bring him in purposefully to have the black hat um, perspective. 
and right. his role in the team changed like 180. Yes. Right. When they when he realized that this was a, a useful force in these types of meetings, so they don't. What a gift, a, right? Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. And it all came out of the Mount Rushmore exercise. That's so. That's uh, such a great example of. Um... Yeah, non-homogeneous thinking, right? The extreme of non-homogeneous thinking, and de- and, and deliberately including non-homogeneous thinking uh, as part of your decision-making processes, right? That's right. It was. I mean, yeah. Paul is a great leader, I think, and I think him seeing that opportunity yes. is it just illustrates that, doesn't it? Yes. Um, you know, I do love uh, stories from research because I feel that you get the story it could be quite a human story like this. Then you also get the academic research behind it. One thing I reckon could make that story a little bit better is to mention where De Stefano comes from, like what university is mm. it? To sort of say, you know, De Stefano from Harvard or where where does he come from? Do you do you know? I don't know. That's that's no. a detail I need yeah. to find out. Because yes. again, it just adds this level of uh, prestige, I guess, to the story uh, potentially. So uh, that's something to consider, yeah. And what's interesting then, um, to your point as well, Sean, that the story was in the appendix. The first thing that the uh, that the paper maps out is actually what the research shows. They actually have a model uh, or a process for teams to go through to actually get the best out of diverse teams, which is about mapping each individual. Um, the leader has to decenter themselves and create a bridge uh, to that to each individual, and then. Um, uh, in, then a sort of a, a process of integration. There's this three-step process. Uh, what's interesting, right, would be yeah, actually yeah. telling the story first and going, well, this is this is the uh, this is the thing that we're trying to overcome, or this is the you know the, this is the bridge that we're trying to cross. Here's this, here's a story which illustrates the problem, and now let's show you the uh, the process to actually overcome that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even getting the participants in that exercise to try to work out those processes. Even before you provide, okay, here are the answers. Sort of uh, thing, or totally. here's some yeah, yeah. Um, right, because that, that story has so many clues in it, right, of, of perhaps what the team might need or what the leader or what the team might need to do in order to make those bridges. I have a real belief that, you know, leaders in organisations kind of do know the answers to many things, but they just get themselves into these habits of behaviour and they don't even, they're not even aware that yes. that's how they're talking or that's how they're they're behaving with each other. And you just yes. need someone to put their hand up and go, uh, do you do you recognize? I saw this just the other day in an executive meeting. It was lovely to see the executives were talking about um we we're talking about their strategy. And I sort of said, okay, you know, what are the strategic choices that you know you guys have decided on? And you know, one person jumped in and sort of said, "Well, you know, it's 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 this and this." And then someone jumped in and says, "Well, it's not really that, is it? It's really this." And and then someone else sort of said, uh, "Yeah, but remember, we did this as well." And and then one executive just put his hand up and said, "Just one one moment, one moment. Just notice there that we didn't just go. Our strategic choices are one, two, three. Just mm. notice that." Mm. And you could see everyone look at each other and went. Oh, he's right, you know. Uh, yeah. you know? So just those interventions have such power, don't they? Um, now, 
I noticed at the very beginning you were talking about how that there's this, this, I guess, a, a a paradox. You know, diversity just in itself doesn't bring you, you know, great results unless you have good management. Um, did the research draw out, if you like? I know you touched on a little bit, but did it draw out what it meant by good management in in that sort of area? For sure, uh, it. Um, there's actually lots of a few great stories in there as well about um, times where leaders have actually listened to their team to actually achieve um, good outcomes. Right. Um, there's there's one example uh, uh, where uh, there is an American leader in Hong Kong and they have a problem with a client and uh, the American wants to get all uh, gung-ho about it and like deal really directly with the client. But he actually works with um, his these two other people who are local and have a cultural knowledge to actually uh, to actually deal with a client a completely different way. And the American would have never have come up with that um, re- response by by himself. Yes. So yes. so there's, but it it's a it takes. This is the thing I'm noticing, Sean, in all these examples is that it takes time. But I would almost say you don't have time. You can't not do it, you know, right. because you because otherwise you'll get you'll get the result that you don't want. You know, if if the if the American had gone in and just done his gung ho result, they might have lost that. Well, also client. it's a it's a false saving as well, isn't it? It's you a how false people, saving. Yeah, people think they've oh we got no time, we got no time, but you pay for it down the track. Yes, you know, in in, in rework in you know, people leaving the organisation, having to retrain new people. I mean, there's there's so much extra things you have to do if you don't do a good job in the first instance. A hundred percent. And the other examples that I really liked was, um, this is more of a, a general generalisation, but what um, the Stefanotis team noticed was that the reason why meetings happen in different countries. So in America, meetings happen to make a decision. Right. Uh, in Japan, um, meetings happen to socialize a decision that's already been made in private. So everyone's already been spoken to, and now uh-huh. we have to socialize that decision. Yeah. Yeah. In Latin America, the meeting is a relationship building activity so that decisions can be made in the future. So there's just lots of talk, wow. and people want to find out about each other and all these kinds of things. And so, what that means is that, um, and you know, and for example, in Latin America, interruption is 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 allowed. You know, we're allowed to interrupt each other, and you know, it's very yes. and and so you know, De Stefano related it back to this one particular team that he worked with, where there actually there was a process leader who actually um, knew everyone's cultural background, preferences, and also kind of um, um, like that black hat idea knew yep. how everyone's contribution needed to be made. And so there were some people who were never to be interrupted, and there were some people where who it was okay if they were interrupted. Wow! You know, because because we know that John is going to just just bump in and he's going to talk a lot, so we need to interrupt John. But we never hear from Lucy. So when Lucy and she's you know and she when she speaks, she's this is she's very thoughtful and whatever. So we're not interrupting Lucy, but we can interrupt John. So you know examples like that are really interesting and it's that's counterintuitive to me right because you think no we make a team agreement no interruptions or whatever it might be no 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 cross-culturally there might be you know that team that member maybe we would speak too much otherwise so we're allowed to interrupt him and and i love that i love that isn't it i saw a lovely example of sort of 
great leadership in a cross-cultural um, environment. I was in Singapore doing some work for a large um, food company, and it was the gathering of all the safety people for Asia Pacific. So they got these big factories, quite a dangerous environment in many ways. Um, and so uh, it was a, you know, in a typical conference room, a big conference room table in the middle. And it was sort of like there was the table in the middle, then there was tables on the, on the out, not tables, but chairs on the outside, like the outer circle. Anyway, people just started to arrive and plonking themselves down. But there was the American headquarter people had arrived, right? And they were coming in just like everyone else. And some of them were putting themselves on the main table. And then a lot of the local uh, executives were putting themselves on the outer sort of circle. Anyway, eventually the head of the global part of that business, American guy, big tall guy, you know, like six foot four strapping gentleman walked in at towards the end, like everyone had sat down and took their positions and he stood at the door and he just sort of said, guys, this is an Asia Pacific uh, meeting. Uh, do you mind if all of the um, US uh, folk, can you just move to the outside and all the Asia Pacific people, you, it's your meeting, you go to the inside. And he sat on the outside himself. Right. Ah, beautiful modeling. And, yes. and, and of course, they had, and it was the one of the first times where I saw they really had permission to just go for it. Right. Mm. You know, sometimes an Asia Pacific group can be a little quiet, but these guys were absolutely going for it. Every now and then they'd turn around to sort of see what, you know, they, the, you know, the big boss uh, had to say, but he kept pretty quiet through the whole thing. Anyway, it was just a, a lovely ninja move, you know, for, for those people. Uh, in that meeting on that day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, we've covered a lot in terms of these stories and uh, there's, there's plenty of stories to tell. Um, and I'm just thinking in terms of the webinar, um, what, what, what are you hoping? Like, you know, I'm just thinking, what are you hoping people would will walk away with when they attend the webinar? You know, I think there's, Two things, uh, Sean. I think one is uh, I want to tell stories like that uh, De Stefano story and maybe a few of those other ones because I think even in just the telling of those stories, um, it already creates some awareness uh, and, and helps. And, you know, they're, I think they're teaching stories, aren't they? They're insight stories that make you think about your own leadership and they make you think about your own team. Um, so there'll definitely be some stories told, which I think will be uh, insightful and instructive. And then also we'll share some uh, particular story techniques, you know, that we've that we've come across around story listening and storytelling. Yes. Um, which you know around communicating strategy. Uh, if 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 you are an organization that's scaling, you know, what are the important stories to be told? But perhaps also maybe even more importantly, what are the stories you need to be listening for within your organization? Mm. Yeah, um, it's something we don't pay enough attention to, is it? How do you elicit so stories? That's exactly right. Yeah. So it, it'll be a mix of those things. And then also there's question, question and answers at the end. So um, I hope that might be a, a very lively time as well. So those three things, stories, some techniques, and then hopefully a, a lively discussion at the end. Lovely. Oh, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Rob, I think we should wrap things up. I know uh, we probably didn't go through all the steps we would normally do, but we've, we've given you some stories to add to uh, your repertoire. So that's the main thing. 
Uh, look, thanks everyone for listening in to Anecdotally Speaking and of course, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. See ya. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from author to audio.